you are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful once more that you have brought us together. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will be not only in our midst, but in our hearts. That what we say and what we think and what we do because of being here today will all be done to your name's honor and glory. We thank you for hearing our prayer and answering according to your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you're not here for the uh, health seminar, you came to the right place. <laughs> and we start off with the idea again of shalom. So I greet you today and I say shalom. And you answer me with? Shalom. I am wishing you everything that is good. I'm wishing you total health, total and complete health. And this was the way that the Hebrews actually uh, uh, greeted each other with the shalom. And they still do up to today. And the context in which we are dealing with the uh, health issues is not just with the shalomic idea, but also from the prince of shalom. You know, when the Bible calls him the prince of peace, the word in Hebrew for peace that's translated peace to us is shalom. So he's the prince of shalom, and he wants us to be where he is. And I don't believe that that's just uh, physically he wants us to be where he is. He wants us to be where he is in his heart. He wants us to have the heart and mind that he has, right? Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. He wants us to have that heart. So we're going to start off again this time with a little thing about what you may or may not know. So did you know, did you know that by touching someone whom you love when they're in pain, you actually can reduce their pain? The touching is actually therapeutic. Not, I'm not talking about the duty-duty therapeutic touch. I'm talking about holding someone's hand. Right? You know, sometimes uh, you go to the hospital, you may have a loved one, or, or in my case, it might be a patient. And I hold their hands, and they feel better just because compassionate touch leads to a decrease in pain. There are also some physiologic things that happen that we can't fully explain, but uh, we begin to become in sync by, by holding uh, each other's hands. And this has been shown in multiple studies. It's not just some fluke, and it's not that therapeutic touch uh, kind of idea. It's actually much better than that. It's the sweetness that we have from compassion. And speaking about sweet, let's talk about this one. Did you realize that, uh, that honey, in some studies, have been shown to be just as effective or even more effective in reducing symptoms of colds and flus and things like that than over-the-counter medications? Can you believe that? Yeah, in this particular uh, set of, of studies, they reviewed 14 different studies with 1,800 patients, and they found that people who used honey compared to over-the-counter medications such as antihistamines and cough suppressants and painkillers and expectorants and things, the stuff that we usually uh, would say, have, take these cold tablets or so, right? That honey was actually uh, as good as or better at relieving the symptoms, okay? But be very careful. Don't use it in children who are less than or equal to one year of age. 
because we don't want to transmit anything to the, to the children, right? So it's not for, for the little, the wee ones, okay? Did you know that there are different kinds of walking that we can do? We say walk, walk, walk. Have you heard that before? Walk, walk, walk? Yes, we should be walking. But there are different kinds of walking, just like there are different kinds of talking, right? There's exercise focus walks, okay? And it actually changes the way your body responds when you decide that you're going to go to walk for exercise. So your mind has a part to play in the effect of what you're doing. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah. So as you think about something, it actually may change the way you respond to it. Okay? Uh, there's interval training walks where you walk fast and then slow down, walk fast and slow down. Okay? There's strength training walks. That's where you carry something with you that uh, may help you to in improve your strength. For, for uh, women, particularly with osteoporosis, that's very uh, useful way to, to, to exercise, to walk with weights. Uh, even if you forget uh, one of these weighted jackets like a uh, fisherman's jacket or the, uh, the photographer's jacket, and you can stick you know, bags of beans or sand or salt or whatever in the pocket so you can carry some weight. And this actually helps to increase the weight that you're carrying and helps to strengthen your bones and strengthen your muscles as well. There are meditative walks, there are sm sports walks, and there are social walks and there are digestive strolls. And after a meal, uh, to take a 15-minute stroll. Not, this is not trying to get into a sprint or a marathon or anything like that. A digestive stroll usually helps with your digestion. But there's a special issue with a particular study uh, that was done. This was uh, a small study of only 50 people, but they divided the group into two, two 25s, and they had uh, one group going out and, and taking, you know, regular walks, that was group A, right, weekly walks, 15-minute walks, done outdoors, and they had a good time. And group B, they had them take the walks, but they also asked them to do something else. They asked them to, uh, well, actually in both groups, they were taking selfies and things like that, but in group B, they asked them also to pay attention to some of the things around that were beautiful, okay? So we have group A, uh, walking, taking walks, taking selfies. Group B, walking, taking walks, admiring what's in nature, and taking selfies. And what they found was that group B had less distress and more compassion, gratitude, etc. They, 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 they measured scales on how they were, how they were doing after these... Uh, 15-minute walks that they did. Uh, so by, by actually experiencing the beauty in nature, you actually can change the way your body responds. As a matter of fact, they even found the selfies were different. The selfies of group A that was just taking the walk and taking the selfies had a lot of self in it. But those who were looking at nature there was less self and more nature. Isn't that something? So even though they were taking a selfie, they were taking the plants, the flowers, the trees, the things uh, that were beautiful as well. And these individuals actually had a change in the way that they dealt with things. They were more grateful, they were more uh, compassionate, etc. Isn't that something? So uh, the recommendation out of this study uh, is that you should take some more awe walks, okay? So go out and take a look at nature and 
Be awed. Look at the sunset. Look at the clouds. Uh, do like uh, you used to do uh, when you were kids. I'm sure everybody here did this. You lay down, you look at the clouds, and you see all these different shapes. Anybody remembers doing that? I do, and I still do it sometimes, okay? So, you know, you look up there and you see something. Uh, I'm always too slow in saying, look at that for my wife to also see it. And sometimes she looks and she says, Zeno, you know, you have a good imagination <laughs> because she can't see what I'm seeing there. Anyway, so those are the all walks. And you, you, you might wonder, well, how much walking do you need to do to get any real benefit out of it anyway, all right? Well, I, I'm going to surprise you because every day I'm going to show you something about how much, how much you really need to do if you want to get the minimum amount of benefit. And this is a minimum thing, all right? How, how does 12 minutes sound to you? Can you find 12 minutes to do some physical activity in your whole 24-hour day? Can you find 12 minutes? Can you find 12 minutes? Okay. Here's what they did. They looked at people who were walking, and what they found was that you can actually reduce your risk of heart disease and diabetes if you start walking only 12 minutes. But how you do it is you start off walking slowly and you increase your speed as you get to the end, as opposed to starting off fast and going down. This is just how they studied it. They started slowly and they uh, ramped up. These people used the bicycle, but we believe that's generalizable for just walking, okay? So you end with a bang and in just 12 minutes, you know, you start light, you exert some more, right? And until it's vigorous, and we say, take 12. 12 minutes. 12 minutes. And it will reduce your risk of liver disease, diabetes, heart disease, etc. So we're back to apples again. For those of you who have been here for the, over the last few days, you know we have a little thing with apples, right? So we're back to apples again. This was a study done in eight European countries. 340,000 people. Do you think that's a small number? No. Do you know what the, what the uh, population of uh, Edmore is? It's actually 1,200 <laughs> 1, and something. So this is 300 times bigger than, uh, than the population of the town that we're in. Anyway, so they looked at 9,000 plus, almost 10,000 newly diagnosed uh, people uh, over the previous decade, and they compared them with 13,000 uh, people who remained free of diabetes during the course of the study. And they compared what they were eating, and they looked at the various frequencies of uh, food intake. They didn't tell them what they needed to eat. They were just observing what they were eating, and, and the people reported what they were eating. Those with the highest levels of vegetable and fruit intake, well, they had the highest levels in their blood, of plant-derived nutritional factors. And those same people also had a 25 to 50% decrease in the likelihood of developing diabetes over the course of the study. The end point then is that having more fruits and vegetables, and perhaps I should say it this way, more vegetables and fruits in your diet seems to confer some benefit in terms of reducing your risk for diabetes, for high blood pressure, for uh, many of the chronic degenerative diseases that we have. Now, how much was it where they started to see a change? It's the equivalent of about two-thirds of an apple. So if you don't like apples, you don't even have to eat a whole apple a day to keep the doctor away. <laughs> you can eat two-thirds of an apple, right? And you'll begin to have some benefit. How does that sound to you?
Amazing? Small things, but when you look at big numbers of people, even small things show up as having a benefit or an effect on what goes on. And when we look at, at that kind of idea, now we're going to turn to talk about uh, the issue of type 2 diabetes that you may not be aware of. If we look at the whole population, we can divide the population into two big groups. That is, actually, three big groups. A group that is normal, that the doctor says, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, no, don't worry anything about diabetes, you don't have any problem here. Blood sugar is good, hemoglobin A1C is good, no problem. Then there's another group that the doctor would say, he or she would say, you have pre-diabetes. That means you're on the verge of getting full-blown diabetes. And then there's another group that he would say, he or she would say, you have diabetes, okay? We're talking about type 2 diabetes, which is the most common kind of diabetes, all right? So we have three groups, normal, pre-diabetes, and type 2 diabetes. Which group do you want to belong to? Okay, that's wonderful. <laughs> Everybody wants to be normal. Okay, good. So if you take the people who are normal, they actually fall into two groups. They're the people who have low risk of getting diabetes, and they're people who have some risk of getting diabetes. Are you following me so far? So you take a normal person, and you say, well, what is your risk? If you have a family history, if you're overweight, if you don't exercise, those things, you're a higher risk, okay? Somebody who otherwise is fit, no family history of this, they're younger, da-da-da-da, we say you, you have low risk, okay? So we have people who are low risk and people who are at risk. And then if we go over to the people who have diabetes now, full-blown diabetes, as diabetes moves along, as it progresses, things change in the body. We may start off being, uh, you know, with, with equal components of derangements. But as things go along, the person loses their pancreas's ability to keep up with the production of insulin. And the beta cells in the pancreas that actually produce the insulin, they become fatigued. And they don't produce insulin anymore. So what happens at the end point of someone with type 2 diabetes is they begin to look very much like someone with type 1 diabetes who can't make insulin in the first place. So if you have type 2 diabetes, if you don't take care of yourself, or if you're not well taken care of, you may progress to the point where you will obligatorily need to use insulin injected if you're going to live, right? Now, here is, here is what we know. As we start off from the low-risk individual, as time goes on and we live our life, we can increase our risk, we can pass from the low risk to the at risk, and then we can become pre-diabetic, as it said, and then we might end up with diabetes, and if we don't do anything about it, we could end up with this end stage where you might be blind, you might have to have amputations, you might need kidney dialysis, and that's the, that's the, the bad picture of diabetes, okay? And it's a progression. What is good news is that that is reversible. Amen? 
All right, now, it's not reversible in every case, and I'll have to point that out, but it is reversible, okay? But the question would be, how do you get to do that? So the end point, all the way over to the right, we call that the red zone. That is the least reversible state. That, that's, that's red, very, very high probability that things are not going to go well. However, it doesn't mean that all bets are off because there are still things that we can do there to help move things from that zone into the next zone, which is the yellow zone. So if someone finds himself or herself in that yellow zone, uh, it is not that you, know, you have to go forward to the red zone. You may still be able to move backwards into the green zone, which is the, uh, the first area. So where do you want to be? We all want to be in the green zone. If we're in the yellow zone, we want to move from the yellow zone back to the green zone, or at least stay in the yellow zone. If we're in the red zone, we want to move from the red zone to the yellow zone, and if possible, back to the green zone, right? So this is the idea that we have uh, in, uh, in medicine today, particularly in the Seventh-day Adventist uh, approach to dealing with diabetes and reversing the disease. And remember, yesterday I told you, uh, John Harvey Kellogg was was working with this kind of system even before insulin was known or before insulin was isolated and uh, was able to be used. By the way, the first major institution in the world to use insulin on patients was the Battle Creek Sanitarium. They adopted the use of insulin even before the people who had discovered it up at the University of Toronto, okay, as a major institution. Isn't that fantastic, right? Okay. So now, here is the issue that I'd like to point out. Yes, we have a question. Yes. Two questions. What did they use? What, what was the, the source of insulin? And then my second question is, what's happening to your B cell when, when they're compromised? Okay. You're talking about when, when insulin was isolated, what did they use as a source? Okay. They used pork insulin. Okay. They isolated it, first of all, from the dog. Uh, they didn't think that was a viable <laughs> thing. Um, so they used pork and beef insulin. However, what they found was that the beef insulin, you had to use much more of it, and people got reactions to it, and over time, they weren't able to tolerate it. Whereas the pork insulin uh, was more, quote unquote, pure, and uh, people did not have as many reactions to the pork insulin. Okay. The second thing is the beta cells, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a complex situation what happens to the beta cells. Um, I'll just give you a little part of that. N normal cells, uh, and particularly beta cells, normal beta cells, they don't start off as beta cells. They start off as a precursor cell, like a, a, a distant parent. Okay. And then that cell differentiates into different kinds of cells in the pancreas. One of the cells is called an alpha cell, and the other cell is called a beta cell. You know, we just use those, those terms, right? The alpha cell produces just the opposite effect of the beta cell. The beta cell produces insulin, the alpha cell produces something called glucagon. And the two of them oppose each other. What happens as diabetes progresses is that the beta cells not only become fatigued, as I said earlier, but they actually revert to a precursor cell and then develop into an alpha cell. 
So as time goes on, you actually accentuate the problem, right? So that's why we say it is, it is imperative to catch this as early as possible if we want to have the best outcome, right? I hope that answers your question. Okay, now, with that in mind, uh, what you'll notice on the screen is that I have the patient on top, I have control on the side, and I have the system on the bottom, right? How many of you like the system? <laughs> uh, the system is a healthcare system. The patient, that is you and I, at the beginning of this entire process, we have control over what we do, we have choices. As we go along and we get sicker and sicker, more into the diabetes role, we lose control. In other words, the things that we could do for ourselves, all of a sudden we find we have to use the medical care system to help us with it. Until all the way to the end, I don't know how to dialyze myself. I have to use a dialysis machine in a dialysis center somewhere to hook up four times a week, right, for three or four hours uh, a, a day in order for me to stay alive. So the further along you go, the more the system is in charge and the less control you have, okay? I have this on the graph this way. The patient over time decreases in control over what's going on, decreases in influence. You still have to cooperate and you still have to do things, but you are no longer in control because what happens is that the system takes over if you want to stay alive. And I'm going to ask you one more question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Which would you prefer? For you to be in control of what's going on or for the system to be in control of what you do? I can say this for me and my family, we prefer if we're in control because we can put that control in the hands of the person who we trust. And we trust our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we trust godly physicians, uh, friends, colleagues, and you may not have any friends or colleagues who might be physicians, but you probably know some godly physicians who you can trust, who will do what is well-pleasing in God's sight by you. Now, who are the people that are most likely or least likely to have reversal of their disease? On the left, you see I have questionable likelihood. That is people who, you know, it's not that they cannot be reversed, that the problem can't be reversed, but it's more tenuous, okay? So we look at that profile. We don't like to cubbyhole people too much because uh, when you put people in a box, you, you, you might actually relegate them and become a... Uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you tell somebody you can't do this, and the person says, okay, can't do it, right? On the other hand, uh, what we want to be is realistic. So we say here, here is the profile, the general profile of people who are less likely, okay? So people who have had a diagnosis for more than 10 years, less likely that it's reversible. People who uh, have low or absent insulin levels, less likely. People who, have, who are obligatory insulin users. In other words, the doctor has said, we try to take you off insulin, we cannot, we have not been able to. Uh, those individuals are less likely to have a reversible problem. People who are older, a older age, 
65 or above, when they first develop type 2 diabetes, uh, these individuals are less likely to, uh, to have a reversal of the disease, but not, remember I'm saying, it's not never, right? It's just less likely, all right? Uh, people who are skinny who develop diabetes, for one, it might be that the person is a skinny, <laughs> so-called skinny diabetes, or it could be that the person doesn't have type 2 diabetes at all. They have what we call LADA or type 1.5 diabetes. These individuals will need insulin. They actually have had type 1 diabetes all their life until 45, 50, 55 years of age, and uh, they've been spared up until then, and at that point they will need insulin, okay? Uh, next one is little or no visceral adipose deposits. If someone has a flat abdomen and we do a scan and we don't see any liver fat, they don't have fatty liver disease, and this person has uh, type 2 diabetes, they have a genetic situation that makes it more difficult for them to respond to lifestyle changes, okay? What else? Uh, comorbidities and complications. If somebody already has uh, eye problems and, uh, and uh, peripheral neuropathy and heart disease and so on associated with the diabetes, it's less likely that it will be completely reversible. And even if it were to be reversed, you don't reverse uh, the heart disease, the damage that has already been done. You don't reverse the kidney problem that has already been done. Uh, you can hold it at bay, you might get a little bit of uh, improvement, but it doesn't reverse completely. What else? Uh, people who have physical impairments, oftentimes it means that they can't do the physical activity that we would like for them to do, which is part of their regimen, and that makes it more difficult for them to be able to, uh, to comply with the whole regimen for being able to reverse things. Also, uh, people who are culture-bound in their habits. Now, you might wonder, what on earth is that? I had a patient uh, who, it was a he, and his wife had threatened him that he had to take care of his diabetes, and so he came to see us at the Lifestyle Center of America, all right? And he came in there, uh, you know, in the court they say somebody might be a hostile witness. This guy was a hostile patient. He did not want to be there, okay? He came in and he was like, you know, what, what, what can you guys do, all right? Well, we don't do much. We just uh, facilitate what can happen. God is the one who heals, we just help, all right? So we're working with him, I'm working with him, and within the first five days, his blood sugar is down to normal. He came in with a blood sugar close to 300, okay? His blood sugar is down to normal within five days. And the guy is looking at this and he's flabbergasted, right? You know what he tells me? I'm not going off my tuna fish sandwiches. I said, sir, I didn't tell you anything about tuna fish sandwiches. He said, I know, but it's coming. <laughs> I am not stopping my tuna fish sandwiches. I said, so if by going off tuna, if your blood sugar gets better, you would prefer to stay on the tuna and have high blood sugars than to go off the tuna and get normal blood sugars? He said, absolutely. Are you getting what I'm saying? Tell you about another patient. This guy, uh, and I have total permission to tell you his name even. His name is Larry. This was a high-level engineer working with a major uh, military contractor in Dallas. And he, he was forced to come by his doctor, his best friend, who was a lawyer, and his pastor. All three of them, they, they used to meet 
uh, every month and have breakfast together. And they called an emergency meeting. They got him involved, right? And, and they sat him down and they asked him a question about his wife. Is she well taken care of? And the lawyer who has all of his papers, he says, I think you need to increase her insurance, your, your insurance policy and this. And he got really mad at these guys, right? What are you guys doing? They said, no, your diabetes is out of control. You need to get help. You need to get something taken care of. He came to the Lifestyle Center of America. On the way, he was coming from Dallas. We were in, uh, in Sulphur, Oklahoma. So he had to pass through uh, Dallas and some of the smaller cities coming up there. And he stopped at about five different, he said five, it may have been six or seven, uh, different uh, convenience joints. Because he knew that he was going to be on a small fast, and he knew he was going to be on a total vegetarian diet. Okay? What city did I tell you he was from? Dallas. Okay? Do you know what they eat in Dallas, this guy? <laughs> Steak and potatoes, right? So he's coming up the highway, and every time he thinks of where he's going, and by the way, he had this, he had the typical Texas truck, you know, right? He, he, he would pull off, and he described this to everybody at the end of the program. Uh, he would pull off the highway, and he'd go and he'd buy jerky, and he would stuff it in his bag. And the next place he comes up to, he says, I don't think I have enough jerky. So he gets some more and put it in his bag. So he came up, and he had, he had almost a small suitcase filled with jerky, which he was going to keep in his room so that while we are, you know, uh, treating him with, this, with the fasting oil, he would be having his jerky, okay? This was his plan. So he came, and uh, a big guy, and he, he, was, he was a big guy, right? Tall and strapping. And uh, he told me in no uncertain terms, that he didn't think that we would be able to help him. Uh, he has an excellent doctor. He has the best doctors down in Dallas. This was a guy with, with means. He said, uh, I don't think that there's anything that you guys can do. But my friends roped me into this, and I'm going to do it because I'm a man of my word. I told them I'll do it, right? He went on a three-day fast. Actually, the first night, he said he was going to have the, the jerky for dinner. We had. Uh, our first evening, we had a particular kind of soup called posole. I don't know if you guys know posole, right? Where you choose the vegetables, no meat, you just choose the vegetables that you want and you have a broth, okay? Uh, he did this, and he went to bed that night thinking that he was going to eat the jerky, but when he got to his room, he found he, he, he wasn't hungry. He, he says, I'll save this, I'm, I'm going to need it, all right? So he goes to bed that night. The next day, we start him on, on the fast, and he, he agrees that he will do the fast, and, and we, we encourage our patients. If you're going to go on a fast, you are not forced. You can always go off the fast anytime you want with one condition. You talk to your doctor first, okay? He said, sure, I will do this. He had severe neuropathy. He had already had a heart attack sometime before. Uh, he had some eye issues, but his neuropathy was just, was just the worst, just, just, just bad. He had painful neuropathy, okay? Uh, you know what neuropathy is? The nerves in his legs were, were damaged. Uh, he couldn't really feel when he was walking, and he had pins and needles and pain in his legs. 
Anyway, so we, we, we were taking care of, of him, and he went on the fast. We were following his, his uh, blood levels and whatnot. Again, within three days, this was one of the tests that we used. How you respond to the fast will tell us, to a large extent, how you're going to do, whether you are likely to get off uh, your medications and whether you are able to have reversal. He responded classically. Everything looked good. Everything looked good. Now, we had schedules for when we would see our patients. He was not scheduled this morning when he came to see me, and he demanded that, that the nurse that he would see me, and I had the time, so it wasn't a, an imposition. So I got to see, to see him, and he looked at me and he said, what are you guys doing here? What are you guys doing? Uh, he didn't really want to hear an answer. He, he, he was just, you know, I have been struggling with this thing for years, and I come here and in three days, my blood sugar is normal. What are you guys doing? There must be some. He's an engineer. He, there must be some way that I, I can figure out how this thing works. What are you guys doing? I tried to explain. No, he, 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 he's not listening. We're not com communicating. He leaves the office and he says, I have to find the bottom of this. Okay, all right. Uh, he was a Christian, by the way. By Friday morning, he came in on Sunday. By Friday morning, I had another emergency call. He wants to see me. So he comes to the office and he sits down and he is crying. This huge man is crying. I said, Larry, what's happening? I don't know what you guys are doing here. Now I know it's not just the concern about this, but I had no idea about what he was going to tell me next. He said, I called my wife this morning. It's a good thing. <laughs> and I told her that my blood sugars are doing very well. And she agreed to come up to see me this weekend. So far, so good. He said, but doctor, last night I could lie down and the sheets didn't cause me pain. I said, okay, Larry. Some people respond like that. You know, he says, doctor, you don't understand. Three years ago, my wife and I decided that we will sleep in separate beds. I have not slept with my wife for three years because her touching my leg, pain. And last night, the sheets didn't cause any pain, any pain, he says. What are you guys doing? It's the power of God that works through simple things that we do. Sometimes they're complicated. Sometimes they're simple. I wish I could tell you that everybody would respond like that, but I would be lying. Everybody doesn't. His wife came up, and I knew the secret, and by the way, he, he disclosed it. He, he, this guy was so pleased with the end point, he became a spokesperson, and he told his story, and we made videos of his story. He says, I will do anything, because if people who are suffering the way I was suffering silently <coughs> knew that they could get help, 
doing such simple things, it would be violence not to let them know. Some people are culture bound. Larry, at the end of our three-week program, he donated a large blue bag of jerky. <laughs> he said, I didn't touch one piece. People of high likelihood are people who have pre-diabetes, still reversible, who have type 2 diabetes of short duration, people who are primarily insulin resistant, but their pancreas is still working well, people who happen to be with a lot of visceral fat. Why? Because that can melt. All right? People with fatty liver disease, that can melt. If it has gone on to cirrhosis, that's a different story. But while it's still non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, it is reversible, okay? What else? People who are younger in age, people who have an internal locus of control, people who, who are can-do people, right? But this can-do attitude oftentimes can become problematic because some people take things to extremes. So the can-do attitude and the internal locus of control and the high self-efficacy that I can do things and a learning mindset that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They trust God. They trust something that's even outside of themselves. Not like what some of the movies tell you that is all inside, okay? The only thing that should be inside is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? No comorbidities. People who are willing and able to make substantive changes in their lifestyle. If somebody says, I'm not giving up the tuna fish sandwich, there is no way that we can force them to do that. Okay? And people with a compelling reason to live and to thrive. Some individuals, they see their children and they say, I want to see my daughter graduate. I want to see my, my son get married. I want to see, they have something to live for. And what the research has shown, not Adventist research, by the way, other people doing research have found that part of the Adventist secret in health is that Seventh-day Adventists know that their bodies don't belong to them. They say that Seventh-day Adventists know that they're bought with a price and they honor God with their bodies. Now, I wish that were true for all of us all the time. In the new, uh, uh, I, should, I should get a copy of this and, and share it with you. Uh, U.S. News and World Report uh, had a, a, a sheet that they, uh, they published and they still have on their website for how to live to 100. Anybody have seen that? How to live to 100? You've seen that, all right. What they say there, is they have a list of things that you can do that increases your chance to live to 100. And I think it's number eight on that list of 11 things is live like a Seventh-day Adventist. But they're wrong. It should really read, live like a Seventh-day Adventist ought to. <laughs> you get me, right? But they say live like a Seventh-day Adventist. I will find that and send it to you, uh, Vicky, all right? Okay, so those are the people, the likelihoods. Uh, okay, so now, what are the elements? You may not have known this, but things, you will hear similar kinds of things over and over again because many of the chronic diseases respond in a similar way to the similar kind of regimen. Not all the same, but similar. Okay, so here's the thing. Exercise, okay, and the exercise should be mixed. 
exercise, not just aerobic exercise, but also some strengthening exercise. Sleeping seven to eight hours uh, a, a night, not seven to eight hours a day, right? Seven to eight hours a night. Uh, feeding habits. Do you know that having breakfast and lunch is better than having lunch and supper? Okay, good. Uh, so intermittent fasting, two meals a day, being able to uh, eat within a six-hour period, right? Two meals, six hours period, and then going for 18 hours uh, without eating actually helps to reduce the fat in the liver and reduce the visceral fat, okay? So that can help uh, there. Uh, to be to be de-stressed, okay? And the best way that I know to, to be de-stressed, since the only people who have no stress <laughs> are dead, okay? I'm not suggesting that at all. You de-stress, you give the things that are on your mind, you give your problems to the one who is the big problem bearer, right? You give them to Jesus and let him take care of what he can take care of so you can do what you need to do. Uh, the diet, there are all kinds of issues with the diet, but a low-starch vegetables, using low-starch vegetables, green leafy vegetables, legumes, fruits, nuts, seeds, whole grains, these are all the healthy things that you can do. Now, I'm going to make a, a, a statement here. There are some people who advocate a low-carbohydrate, high-protein, high-fat diet, okay, and that also works, but we have some problems associated with that, so I'm not going to talk about that here. I'm talking about the one that we that we advocate, that we use with our patients, okay? Uh, calories, um, usually if you're doing a, a good job, you will do well uh, with the calories as well. The thing is, don't overeat, okay? Don't overeat. Don't undereat, but don't overeat. Glycemic index and glycemic load, that is, different, different foods have a different effect on your blood sugar, and different people have a different uh, foods have a different effect on different people. Okay, so you kind of have to experiment a little bit with that, even though there's some science behind what the, what the food itself will do. Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me? Yes. All right, I if you don't have time to answer this, that's fine. But the, the, some of the thinking now is that these starch vegetables that have resistant starch mm -hmm. are really a, actually a very great thing. Yes. Because the resistant starch goes to the colon, works on the microbiome, and when you mix that with the beans and other dietary elements, uh, because the glycemic index doesn't, it's, it's a false construct that this is actually very positive, that, it, yes. that these vegetables need not be eliminated. Right, and the, the, the complexity of it is that a starch like potato uh, responds differently when you just bake it or you just boil it if you let it cool and then reheat it, it has a different, uh, different set of actions, okay? So... Uh, but there are resistant starches even if, without that. Even without that, kinds. Yes, yes. And I think they're good. Yes. And if I'm wrong, you need to tell me right now because I've been telling people that. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because, because of the issue with the microbiome, and I'll talk about that in a little while, okay? Uh, and the issue there would be salt and fat and saturated fat, you want to decrease the saturated fat, use the monounsaturated fat, but I have never heard of someone going to the, uh, to the store and saying, can I have two pounds of, of monounsaturated fat, please. So where do you find it? You find it in uh, avocados, uh, nuts, seeds, you know, those kinds of things, all right? Um, you should have colorful foods, right? Because each of the colors of the food, imagine, God even went through the, the, <laughs> the trouble to color code our food for us. Right? So you want a colorful plate, uh, and you'll get more of the micronutrients uh, there. No alcohol, all right? Uh, for fiber, 
you, you, you hear a lot of people talking about juicing. Smoothies are better than juicing because smoothies, you're taking the whole fruit, right, uh, and you're creating a drink out of it. You're essentially pulverizing it. Of course, the best thing is the whole fruit. As I tell people, the fruit, the whole fruit, and nothing but the fruit, okay? So that one works better. Sugar, you want to cut down on the sugar. Uh, we talked about that earlier. And particularly the unopposed fructose. When you, when, you know, high fructose, corn syrup, and, and just fructose as a, uh, as a sweetener, not good. Even, actually, there is no artificial sweetener, and I say artificial, no artificial sweetener that is good for you. Uh, they all cause metabolic problems, right? Uh, the presentation of the food, uh, you know, we should have uh, more raw foods in our diet, even though, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be quite honest, I don't particularly like raw foods, right? But my wife, she likes raw foods, okay? Now, I don't like broccoli that is dead. You know, that mushy broccoli, I don't like it. But I don't like raw broccoli. Or at least I didn't. So what she would do is she would make it each time a little less until it was just the way I liked it. Right? And I love it, right? I, I really like broccoli a lot. But anyway, that's another story. And then, of course, there's fermentation. I know, I know in the church we have a lot of issues with fermentation. I'd like to unpack some of that to you in the next slide. And then for some people who, who because of where they live and the circumstances that they have, etc., cetera, uh, they, they eat meat or, or fish or so-and-so. Well, fish is better than any of the other, other ones, except be aware that fish is contaminated, all right? Uh, even even the, the country of Norway, whose <laughs> major export is fish, had to come up with a statement and say, you know, uh, you don't eat too much of this stuff because it will cause a problem. All right, so fish is better than lean, uh, white meats, better than red meats, and the worst of all is the cured processed meats, all right? And uh, eggs, fresh cheese, and milk are tolerable uh, especially if you're in a situation where this is, this is the food that you can get and this is what you, uh, what you have available to you, right? So now, a little bit of biochemistry. You're not going to be biochemist at the end of this talk. Be, uh, be aware. But, but fermentation is not fermentation is not fermentation. There are different processes that we call fermentation. And this is for the people who are, who are most interested in it. You can ask me questions about it later on. But basically, what happens with fermentation is we're taking, uh, we're taking one thing that is uh, usually a sugar or carbohydrate or something, and we're, we're converting it into something else, okay? It usually ends up as some kind of acid, and it produces uh, carbon dioxide and water as part of the end product. And another schematic uh, looks at it this way. You see the sugar on the top, that's the glucose. It uh, becomes uh, pyruvate, which is a, an intermediate uh, uh, short fat, uh, sorry, short sugar, and then it can go in three different routes. One route produces lactic acid, another route produces alcohol, and a third route produces vinegar, right? Obviously, the vinegar and the alcohol routes are not the routes that you want to go to, and this is the common process of fermentation. They go to either alcohol or they go to... That's what all the alcohol industry is. It's fermentation, right? And the vinegar, well, you know, vinegar, right? Uh, 
But what you want is the lactic acid side. Why the lactic acid side? Because that side actually stimulates the gut bacteria and allow the gut bacteria, the flora in the, in the GI tract, to do the beneficial things for us as opposed to the negative things against us. So it's not all fermented foods that we need to uh, endorse or stay away from. We want the lactic acid fermented foods, right? That is beneficial for us. Within that uh, context, you need to know that the uh, bacteria in the gut also play a part in the development of many diseases as diverse as Parkinson's disease, obesity, depression, and even high blood pressure, okay? So, you want to hear of a good regimen, and I'll, I'll make these slides available to you, so don't worry about that. Uh, the total amount of carbohydrates, if you're looking at the free, uh, easy sugars and whatnot, you, you want to reduce those, okay? You want whole foods, uh, less processed foods, eliminate sugars, and, and the sugars that we're talking about, uh, table sugar, anything added, all these things that added sweetness to the food it, it can be problematic, okay? Replace the carbohydrates then from, of that sort with whole foods, good fats, good proteins, nuts, seeds, avocados, olives, chia, flax, things like that. Uh, natural fibers. It is better to have the natural fiber as part of the food as opposed to having uh, decimated food, right? Ultra-processed food, and then you take fiber and add it to it, right? It's better the whole food. God knew how to package it much better than we could ever uh, think to do, all right? The next one is um, uh, moderation in the calories. And I, I say calories only to say don't overeat, okay? D don't, don't go uh, hog wild. When we talk about Alzheimer's disease, I think we're going to do that on Friday, uh, we'll talk about having a more abstemious diet. This actually helps to preserve brain function, believe it or not, okay? Uh, so don't overeat. Uh, you, you can take food and pulverize it to be able to, to drink it, uh, but the whole idea of just doing a bunch of juicing and whatnot, uh, that's not really physiologic. So I would prefer uh, to tell my patients, and we've had a good benefit, if you're going to want to drink your, your food, okay, but pulverize the whole thing, all right? It's better than, than straining off all the good stuff and just drinking the sweet, okay? Uh, mixed exercise, right? Not just aerobic exercise, but also strength training exercise, sleeping seven to eight hours uh, a night, uh, and getting some of those hours before midnight. Um, mentally, having a merry heart, being uh, grateful, being forgiving, right? Having peace and having a clear conscience. You can sleep better with a clear conscience. Dr. Zeno? Uh, yes. Dr. Zeno, I, just, I have to mention this. Just having a, I learned this in a recent uh, CEU thing. Uh -huh. Just having a sense of purpose turns off inflammatory genes. Yes, yes. Which is amazing. And, and we have a hope. Amen. That turns off inflammation. Can you believe that? <laughs> it, takes, it takes away the fire. <laughs> all right? Yeah. So we can become almost fireproof, okay? Not quite, but we can become almost fireproof. Lactic acid fermented, I mentioned that before. Uh, colorful vegetables, multicolorful uh, vegetables. Um, spiritual health, of course. Uh, using spiritual resources. Understand that we're honoring God with what we do. Serve him and serve others. We're, we're saved to serve. And then, if you need to, don't be afraid to use the insulin or the medications or whatever that will keep you alive until you can get other things taken care of.
right? Uh, on Friday, we'll talk a little bit more about, about that, okay? All right, so now, understand we are not in control of everything. We are not. Even though we say that God is in control, many times we take the control away from him. We do what we want. But what God is asking us to do is to control what we can control and allow him to do what he has to do. Does that sound simple? To submit to his will, ask him for wisdom. He says he will give it freely. He doesn't think that it's a problem any more than a bad father would give a snake when you ask for an egg. How much more willing is he to give the Holy Spirit to those of us who ask him? If we lack wisdom, he says, come to him and he will give freely, unbridled wisdom. Isn't that something? This is what he promises us. And you know, we sometimes say that knowledge is power. I would say that knowledge is not power, and uh, this I found on the internet too, so it was good. Knowledge is not power. Applying what you have learned, that is power. That is powerful. And, the, and, and God wants to give us the power to do. Our problem most of the time is not lack of knowledge. There's all kinds of stuff available for us to learn about and to know about. But to have the power to do, to put into action the things, even our, our best thoughts and our greatest desires, we say, you know, I really would like to do that. I really want to do that. But we just never get around to it. So I have in my office a few of these uh, little round things that say to it on it. So every so often I get around to it. <laughs> And I, and I do it. We have to remember that God's original plan was for us to have what? Shalom. Everything that is good. And in order for us to have that, we need to pay attention to the fact that there is sin in the world. And so if we review from what we've been learning so far, sin leads to sins. And we sin. Sin kills the sin that we're talking about is not just the original sin, but the sins that we do, that your sin and my sin contribute to. Your sins and my sins also kill, not just the big old sin kills. Not all our diseases come from our own sin. They come from other areas as well. So what that means is that we need a sin bearer. We cannot talk about true health unless we understand that sin is part of the equation and we need a sin bearer. And with that sin bearer, we can say we need a savior, amen? And Jesus Christ is that savior. And not only do we need a savior, we have a savior in Jesus Christ. And uh, you will not find anything written in the spirit of prophecy as to how to treat diabetes or hypertension. What you would find would be prescriptions for health, for total health. What we have done over the years is applied these things with the science from the one who originated the science to help us to say, if you do these things, we expect to get these kinds of results. But we don't know everything, and everything isn't perfect. We look forward to the time when there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more dying. All of these things would, be passed away, would have passed away. 
and I will not need to be a doctor anymore, and we will not call you patients. God bless you. So let's have a prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you for this information that will uplift us, uh, draw us closer to you, give us healthier bodies and minds to allow you to live through us, to be a blessing to others. We ask that you would continue to help us to grow in your grace and to become all that you would have us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.